0: I've been thinking about the voice, and not just the voice to Parliament, but but that has definitely been going through my mind, as I know it's been going through a lot of your minds, especially as I counted votes the other day and, um, and had people come into the electoral office c- carrying their own pen because they thought I was going to rub out their vote. Um, I was thinking about that voice. Uh, I've been doing a professional supervision course. Now, just to tie in with what Julie um, said to us earlier, the Royal Commission for Interchild Sexual Abuse um, gave a recommendation at the end, gave recommendations at the end, but one of the really key things for churches was that they said, have your clergy, priests, ministers, pastors have professional supervision, not coaching, not mentoring, not someone just checking in every now and then, professional supervision. And the idea of it is that the person who's doing the professional supervising has the client in mind. You are the client in this situation. So as I receive professional supervision, as Alex next year receives professional supervision, because it is compulsory with the Baptist Union for next year, I can't be accredited unless I have it, and I think that is so good uh, the person who's talking to me will, will be thinking about your voice. They'll be thinking about you. They'll be thinking about the children and young adults. They'll be thinking about whether you have a voice and what, how much power is in that voice. And so as I've undertaken training um, in the last week or so, I've been thinking about your voice. I've been thinking about my voice. I've been thinking about voices in general. And it made me wonder what you feel about your voice in your life currently? Um, do you feel like you have a voice? Do you feel empowered? Do you feel challenged to use your voice? Do you feel like in your key relationships in your life, you have the freedom to say what you need to say? In your workplace, do you feel as though you have agency? Do you feel as though there's power to change anything or you are you swamped with the bureaucracy and the challenge, uh, um, feeling kind of voiceless in that situation. Um, it, It could be family. It could be friendship. It could be any context you find yourself in. Where is your voice? Do you feel as though you have a voice? I was thinking about that. I was thinking about voice. And then I started thinking about Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Bible, thinking about Ruth's story And if you were to ever think about a person who had very little voice, it would be Ruth. And yet we see her voice and God's kind of almost hidden actions. You don't hear a clear voice from God in this story, but you see him working actively in the background I was thinking about that story, so I wanted to just spend a few minutes unpacking it. We're not going to read through it. I don't even have a PowerPoint today, and I apologize for that, because sometimes the pretty pictures can help you stay keyed in. So maybe if you've got a Bible with you, open it up to the book of Ruth, and then I'll be just referring to it as we kind of tell the story, but you might want to just, you know, if you get a little distracted, not that any of you would, but if you get a little distracted, you can read through that yourself. So there's a family Living in Bethlehem. So Naomi, uh, as the mother, she has a husband, she has two sons. And we gloss over this part of the story, but it is, it is just a critical situation for Naomi and her family because there's a famine and a famine. There is no, there is no GFC government support kicking into their account. There is no extra provision. This is, leave Bethlehem or you will starve. And so that's what they do when they go to Moab. And you'll know this story, probably most of you will know this story. Tragically in Moab, although Naomi finds that these two sons find Moabite wives, okay, we're building this new life, we're existing, we're surviving. Her husband dies and her two sons die. And we don't know how but the tragedy of that situation, if you spent some time really stepping into the shoes of Naomi, you would know that like that's, that's game over in so many ways. That, that could easily have been game over. She's in a strange land. She has zero power. She has very little voice. But she is still thinking about the people around her. So she thinks, I've got to go back to Bethlehem. If there's any chance of survival, I need to go back to my people group. But these two daughters-in-law of mine, I want the best for them. She could have thought otherwise. She could have thought, well, let's, you you serve me and marry and include me in your family. No, you, girls, you go back to your family of origin and you make the best of it. You know, it's going to be tough, but make the best of it. You might be able to find another husband. Orpah. Anyone know a key link with a person, a famous person now? Right. Yes, her name is actually Orpa yes. on her birth certificate. Oh, is that what happened? Oh, okay. My Google search did said something different that her auntie named her and that no one could ever get their head around it, so she changed it. But no, that's that sounds that sounds more correct. I'll go with yours, Jen. Um, so Orpa, no, 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 I'm staying with you, but eventually does go back to her family. Ruth, however, and you can read this in Ruth 1.16, she says, no way on God's green earth, I am going back to my family of origin. I am sticking with you. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. In fact, when you die, I will die. We, this is this is it till the end. Amazing commitment from a person who's going to travel to a land she's never been to and knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that she'll be an outsider and probably rejected. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with you, Naomi. There's something there. There's something there about your, you and your people and your God that I want to stick to. So that's our first example of Ruth with very, very little voice using that small amount of agency that she has, that that small voice to make a big statement. I am not returning to my family. I'm going with you. So the two women return to Bethlehem. No guarantees they're going to survive. Ruth then figures there is a way to just for now, just while harvest is on, provide food for herself and for Naomi, and that is to go behind those who are harvesting the barley and collect up the bits and pieces that are left behind. It's a very biblical model. You, you see it in, in, you know, in the ancient writing, in God's commands, as he talks about laws of community. Do this. Leave, leave some of the grain, leave some of the barley so that those who are less um, blessed than you can collect it. So that's what she does and this is where we see god working in the background boaz who's the owner of the field she finds herself in he says in ruth 2 chapter uh, ruth chapter 2 verse 5 who does that woman belong to if a man said that today we would give him a good hard slap i mean not not really because we turn the other cheek but it is a, such an inappropriate thing to say now Totally, totally appropriate thing for Boaz to ask. He wants to know who she belongs to. Now, for those who are part of our city, you know, we did a series on cities. We talked about the first guy who started collecting women. Do you remember his name? No. A couple of generations on from Cain, related to Cain. It starts with L, but that's close. Um, I'll just look it up. No. I'll just give it to you Lamech Lamech. so Lamech built built high walls did someone actually get it yeah Rosalba but Bible nerd that she is well done you Um, so Lamech you know he's collecting women and so we've seen this generationally this becomes part of culture and patriarchy is not limited to the Hebrews we all know that but Boaz asks who does she belong to this is a, this is a voice of concern and this is a voice of care and he said stick, stick in this field. It'll be safer here. He looks out for his workers. He looks out for people like Ruth. So I'm going to skip ahead in the story because I want to see the next opportunity that, that Ruth uses her voice and it's an incredible moment. Take some time this week if you like to, to unpack this story a little bit further. We won't go into the, the details of winnowing floors, you know, threshing floors and winnowing barley, but essentially what Ruth does in the middle of the night as she lays down at the feet of Boaz, she basically proposes to him. We don't really read it that way, but when she says in Ruth three nine to Boaz in the middle of the night, spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of my family, here I am. Be connected with me. Marry me. Take over where my father-in-law and my husband have left off. For a person with a very small voice, for a person with barely any agency in her life, this is powerful wonderful. It's it's kind of scary and risky. And yet she does it. I don't know that I could do it. I don't know that I could use my voice like that, but she does. And before Boaz says, absolutely, let's arrange this thing. He thinks about the person who's in line ahead of him. So he is a redeemer of that family. He is one of the people who can take over where Naomi's husband left off. He can take Naomi's husband's land and all his belongings, including Ruth. But there's one person in line in front of him. So he goes and he checks in with him. First thing he does, checks in with him. The guy's happy to take the land, not so happy to take the wife. So again, long story short, Boaz and Ruth marry. What I find extraordinary in this story is not only the use of voice from Ruth in these moments where she has just, just this glimmer of something she can say or do to change her circumstances. But the end result of that being that she gains a husband, has a child, and what do we know? You know the answer to this, I know most of you do, certainly Rose Alba does. What what's the end result of this situation where she ends up having a son? Who is he in the context of things? He is grandfather to, to David. This is she's she's a and I, I don't say this disrespectfully, she's a nothing and a nobody a Moabite woman. She's not Hebrew. She's her gender is wrong. Her her nationality is wrong. There's so much about Ruth that's not right. It's not honored. It's not it's not given voice. And yet here she is as a a person who uses this tiny amount of voice and watches what God does. And I just I love it. I love this story when I think about those in our society who have very little voice, and it could be you. I don't have a voice in my future. I don't have a voice in my family, I don't have a voice in my workplace look at look at Ruth and what she and i'm not I'm not trying to lift her up. She just did some simple things, but just trusted. In this people group that she had learned there was something kind of amazing about. She appears in Matthew, for goodness sake, in the genealogy of Jesus. Her name is there. There's a book named after her. She finds voice because God gives her voice. It's extraordinary for those who feel like they have no voice. Read, read the story this week if you feel like I I would love to find voice. I have often found myself in situations where I'm that, no, I always find myself in those situations where I'm that person of peace, that diplomatic voice, that person who keeps things stable. That's me. I'm, you know, stable Sally. I've never said it like that, but actually SS, it kind of works. Um, I I had to do it as part of this professional supervision course. I had to do my role biography. So you look at the roles you've taken in your life and what you've done with them. So I took a role as a marketing, essentially my role at school was supposed to be marketing. Guess what I did? I did this much marketing and this much stability growing, this much diplomacy work. I changed, well, I was the first person to take the role. So I had the, the privilege of being able to shape it the way I wanted. I made it the role of stability. I've done that in my family. I've done that in just about every context I've come to. And coming into Southern in the middle of a lockdown, that's a good thing. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a stable personality. I think that is a gift. I think it's a gift to my family. I think it's a gift to you. But it comes with a few red flags. Where is our voice? Where is my voice? Where is your voice in that? Because here's my concern and I'm this is a growing thing for me. It's a fairly new thing and I'm trying to wrap my head around and understand what God's doing and saying. But if we become that community that says, we don't really talk about that because we want to keep everything stable, what does that do to us? What does that say about us? And so I'm offering for you to speak into that. However you feel, like, let's have coffee or, or, or let's, let's keep talking about that because this is a growing realization for me. <clears throat> I will always be the one who brings stability to things. God has gifted me in that. That is, I own it. It's great. But I've been really challenged in this last couple of weeks to think about what that means in the negative and what I should do about it. So feel free to speak into that with me because you'll have perspectives about this community about me that I don't have because we all have blind spots. So open invitation. Tell me what you think. Tell me how we can use voice in a more honest and transparent way here because as I – sorry, Isaac, I haven't checked with you, but it's not really about you, but I was on the phone with Isaac um the other day and, I, you know, I'm starting to get really challenged by all of this and, and and the fact that I'm so contained as a person, I'm starting to go, mm, that's not all good and so I said to Isaac on the phone, I'm sorry that I've been so contained. And what I expected him to say was, oh, no, 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 it's all good. No, he said, that's okay. Yeah. And I went, oh, <laughs> he, he, he knows it. It's right. So we're all learning things on this journey. We're all learning how to have a voice. And I want to say that if you feel like someone in this congregation, it's not about not having a voice. You feel like you actually do have a voice use it like Boaz did. Use it to make change. Use it to, to be a better boss to your workers. Sign that petition. Give that donation. Speak up for that colleague who people are, I was going to use a word I shouldn't use, people are gossiping about. Use your voice. Because if you look back, if you've got your Bible and look back, there's a the last couple of verses of Judges, it says, um, just got to find it. In the end of Judges, it says, uh, 21 verse 25, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And then we immediately flip to the story of Ruth. So people are doing what they think is best, what they think is right for themselves. And then you hit Naomi doing the best for her daughters-in-law. Ruth, doing the best for her mother-in-law. Boaz, thinking about the next person in line and the workers and thinking about Ruth. Be that voice. Be that voice that is not thinking of you but thinking of others. If that's your capability, if that's where you're at. But if, but if you feel like you have no voice, my goodness, God is in there. He's in there with you working behind the scenes. He's in there with you saying, I'll give you these small opportunities. Use them. Let's keep thinking through that. Let's keep reading through stories like Ruth's to understand what voice means in 2023. I would normally now say let's chat so you can use your voice, but ironically I don't want to do that. I would actually love for us to sing, if it's all right, New Wine Again, because I think it's so beautiful and I think it would be a great way to finish off our service. Are your fingers in a condition to be able to do that, Steve?